Hello, everyone. My name is Justin Odisho. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. Today on the show, we have Jack Butcher. He's the creator behind the Visualize Value pages on Instagram and Twitter and, and a website and a lot more. And I'm really excited to talk to him today because whether you're a videographer, photographer, or any sort of freelancer, any basically anyone you are, you're going to hopefully be able to extract some value from this conversation in the form of really important concepts of just how to think about your time and value and 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 different ways to separate that in social media. But before I go on for too long, why don't you give me a little bit of an introduction, your own words, and and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show as well. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, I um, so traditionally trained as a graphic designer, grew up in the UK, moved to New York in 2010, about 10 years ago, and got on the agency circuit. So worked at all kinds of different agencies, big, little, worked in-house at startups. And um, in 2017, started my own agency with all of the knowledge that I assumed I'd picked up along the way. And kind of with this, you know, almost arrogant, the bravado of, hey, I can produce an asset. I can, you know, I can produce the deliverable. So what else could there be to this game? So uh, got into building an agency, few Fortune 500 clients. And then after about six months, was just incredibly burned out and started to look at, well, how can I, how can I get a healthier relationship with the work I'm doing and the clients that I'm working with? And Visualize Value kind of became originally a service business that was, um, you know, providing this very specific brand of graphic design as a service to people that needed help articulating things visually. And then, you know, over the course of the last two years, that business has, has just, I've iterated on that business model slightly, uh, moving away from the time for money and consulting side of things into productization and uh, building up some workshops and trying to help other people make the transition I made from this like really crazy, um, overwhelming service business where you're completely burned out to the ability to you know, scale your business without spending extra time and energy and effort doing so. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I wanted to note is like you see a lot of these pages on Instagram and Twitter like uh, sharing business and entrepreneurial things. But I think it's really cool that I mean, you're not just like some motivational poster. You actually have like a decade of agency design experience. You actually went from working in agencies to having your own providing services. And whether someone is going to replicate this business model or not, they can you're actually just providing uh, useful, valuable information about how to think about things, which I think is important. Yeah, I think that like all of those different experiences help you validate the content that you're putting out to. It's like, if I'm going to say this or I'm going to publish this, is this true in all of the situations I found myself in? And more often than not, you know, in my career, the people that have told me things that were true had done a lot of stuff and had like just been exposed to so many different situations where they can kind of refine their mental models over time just through like, you know, is this idea or can I stress test this idea in all these different environments to the point where I now believe in it so much that I could you know, sell a product that teaches you how to do it? 
Yeah, and uh, I've actually personally taken the course. I've been following you for a good bit of time. Um, and I feel I re I've really resonated with the stuff that you post on Twitter and, and these pages. If anyone's not familiar with you or following you uh, while you're listening to this, just type in visualize value on Instagram or Twitter and, and get it like scroll through and you'll see what we're talking about here. But I found even in my own analytics um, before I even known your pages, like it's kind of embodied like a case study of a lot of the things you said, like the, like the graphs, like don't quit before it's too soon. Um, my YouTube analytics look exactly like that graph, which is funny, you know? That's badass. A few people have reached out to me like with that, uh, with that same experience, like podcasts that they recorded 300 episodes. I'm like, man, and that, that particular image has resonated with so many people for that reason, especially like, you know, people have been building audiences and putting time into publishing consistently for years and years and years. It's so cool. Yeah. So, so you've also kind of hit this exponential growth um, yourself. I remember I saw your page because a couple of people I would follow would constantly be sharing them, like resharing your posts. And uh, eventually the, like the way you do it is just black and white, very simple design. And eventually I kind of, I was like, who is this guy? Like, what's this page? And then I finally got it. Um, you're pretty public on Twitter with like uh, the business side of things as well. And there's a cool concept you have. I mean, there's so many concepts we can get into, but why don't we start first like with what is value to you? Like, I mean, your page is value. You probably think about this a lot. Like get philosophical, whatever you want. Like what is value? All right. That's a good question. So, um, so I was actually writing something about this this morning and I think what it comes down to, and again, referring back to like the experiences I've had in my career, there's kind of three ways I categorize it. It's, uh, things that people don't do things that people won't do and things that people can't do. So you kind of have this tiered level of categorizing how you can create value as an individual. And I'm just like gonna approach it from that perspective. Cause that's really who I'm trying to speak to. Cause that was my journey. You know, this, this will extrapolate out to an organization or a business of any size, but at the like tiniest level, it's, you know, the individual who you can count on to do X every day, right? Like even if you work in an organization where your role is, I don't know, making sure the file structure in the agency drive is maintained. There's, there's 50 people working at that agency. There's only one person that takes the time to go and do that thing. And they are valuable for that reason. If they, you know, if, if one day they didn't show up, everyone's just like, what the hell happened to this, this yeah. file structure? Or um, one of the things that I learned in my agency career was kind of identifying the things that I didn't mind doing that other people hated doing or just didn't have like, just didn't have the same drive to do as I did. So pitch decks was the, the big thing for me where I think this skill of visualizing value came out of that process, which is, um, you know, first one in the office, last one out, always working on these things that nobody else can be bothered to work on. So why is that valuable? Because it's like a scarce attribute and it doesn't even necessarily need to be talent oriented. It could be purely 
consistency based. Like what is this person going to do every day that nobody else has the patience to do? That's valuable. And then eventually that translates to what is this person going to do every day that most people can't do because they haven't practiced it for as long as this person. So I think, you know, at a very basic level, it comes down to that. It's like when you build that skill or that reputation for the thing that a lot of people don't, won't, or can't do, you become valuable to them. You can offer them a service or a, um, like the relationship you have with them increases their quality of life or their, you know, the trajectory of their business or whatever it might be. That to me is what value is. Yeah. And it's a deep, it's a, like the simplest words can have the deepest like meanings, especially value. I mean, this gets into time and money, all these right, right. simple things that we take for granted every day, but are actually the most complex concepts there are kind of um but so so you you mentioned a really good thing uh, you're working these design agencies you were kind of hit upon this idea of visualizing value and you know so they say like a picture speaks a thousand words um all these quotes you've heard and so basically what you're doing is you're taking let's say a like a proverb or a piece of wisdom or valuable thing and you're visualizing it using your years of design experience so that it can come across in a direct way. And uh, there's also, there's almost something that like, uh, there's no language barrier to that, right? Have you found, what, where have you found comparing the difference between like a word, like a sentence quote and the value of a, of a image? Yeah. So um, initially I think where I saw this click was, in the context of those presentations and pitch decks and trying to tell a story to somebody or a room full of people. And more often than not in the context of something that doesn't like physically exist. So if you're selling like a, a campaign or a story or a, even like a technology product that doesn't exist yet, it's like you have to actually produce something that gets everybody in the room about everybody on the room sorry, everybody in the room on the same page about what this thing does. And if you can draw a picture of it, it's like, it becomes a map, right? Everybody's like, oh, now I get it, right? That like, yeah, the, the point you make about languages transcending, sorry, visuals transcending language is a really good one. And that I think is, is true, right? An arrow is an arrow, a, yeah. like two overlapping circles and a value in the middle, like regardless of where you grew up or where you are, like those things have the same connotations. And obviously people's vocabularies are at different stages of development or just different entirely. Like one word to me might mean something completely different to you. But I think visuals, and I've, you know, I've never been able to articulate this as uh, succinctly as I'd like, but it's almost like there's some biological firmware that exists that allows you to process visuals a certain way, right? Like. There's this great quote in a book called Psycho-Cybernetics about a baseball player catching a ball. So like when the ball cracks off the bat, the fielder just go, runs and just shows up in the place where the ball is going to land. So there's almost these like visual signals that we can process so much faster and they're just inherently like understood even to the point where we don't really know how we do it or why we're so much faster at processing it. But you know, survival mechanisms or whatever else that have been developed over time. And language is a, is an imperfect tool too, right? It's like, 
again, you talk about time and money being these abstract concepts. Language is an incredibly abstract concept. It's like me and you have agreed upon these words that somehow represent these things that we're guessing mean the same thing to me and you. But in a lot of cases, that's not true, right? If somebody, you know, you ask somebody what money is, you ask another person what money is, you're going to get two very different answers. And every time you write a sentence, someone's only processing that sentence with their understanding of what those words mean. So visuals, I think, yeah. get you a little closer to getting the message you wanted to get across, across. Yeah, and that's that's really something I found too, because uh, like I teach video editing, I teach photo editing. And something I always realize is if you know, this is a language, like if you know how to communicate in a visual form, whether that is a graphic design or a visual um, you're able to transcend these certain boundaries. And like you said, you know, like think of stop signs, green lights, red lights, yellow lights, like this is just the most simple way that we can immediately maybe biologically see a, a bright color on a bush or a snake and right. think that's poisonous, like yeah, yeah, bad yeah. or like red equals bad, green equals good. Yeah, you know? That looks scary. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting away from it, right? Yeah, it's like color theory too. Um, yeah. I'm not to take away from the, the rain word. Like I love books. Uh, I love, there's something beautiful about just, I was Absolutely. just reading and I was thinking like, there's all these, this is literally a piece of paper and there's symbols on it and I'm able to make an image in my head out of it, which is crazy. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And like, you know, that it is like the closest definition to magic you can get, right? It's like 2000 years ago, somebody had an idea and somehow that idea was transcribed and now we can all benefit from it and use it. And the reference you give um, to videography and like making you know, live action, it's like you can watch a silent movie and you're like, I get the story, I understand what's happening. It's just a different lens on it, right? It's like you can observe something and your experience translates what you see into a story in your head and it's a different device for delivering that same epiphany or that same feeling to somebody yeah and if you actually look at some of the most popular channels on youtube like are you familiar with this primitive technology channel you know the ones where like no. they build there's these channels where they just build mud I'm, huts an, I'm, I'm a youtube amateur <laughs> well uh, i'm sure whoever's listening is from this guy has like 10 million subscribers something up in that range and there's many channels like it. Um, there's no speaking. It's just a man in, in his local woods um, building primitive tools like spearheads and mud huts and bricks, That's clay. Badass. And there's no talking. So it's just, uh, I think part of the reason why it's successful is that there's no speaking. And this is something I think you've said in some of your visualized value pieces is like, and something that comes up in editing is the process of rather than adding something, removing, like simplifying mm -hmm. to provide the value um, and negation rather than addition. Um, but another thing I want to talk about, so I think let's, this is probably something a lot of people want to do. Let's talk about the money, like time, right. valuing time. Something I think is very important uh, for whoever's watching. A lot of people might be freelance videographers or whatever. So how do you personally think about Cause, cause you're doing, you're running this business, which is doing phenomenally. It seems, um, how do you value your time or how do you think about your time? Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this. I think about this a lot. So, um, 
at the beginning of my career, I was like so grateful that someone was going to pay me to do something that I thought was fun. I like when I was 21 years old, I wasn't like, let me calculate the return on my time for this thing. It was like purely if I get paid this amount to be in this environment and learn this thing, can I survive while I do it? And I think there's an advantage to, um, I don't know. I think about this, like there's an advantage to growing up in both environments. So like low information, social definitely wasn't like a huge part of my career early on. So it wasn't like you don't have this huge spectrum of people to compare yourself to that are way ahead of you and just in a different, they have a different set of experiences at like a bigger network, all of these different things. So I think I say that because I think there is, there comes a point where you start to realize what your time is worth after you've like honed a skill set and a talent and you become indispensable in some context. And for me, that was like working in design agencies. And I say indispensable, obviously designer in a design agency is very dispensable, but in the context of one little business, you provide a ton of value. So um, I, I started to negotiate my salary based on like getting more and more exposure to the economics of an agency as I, as I progress through my career. So it's like, I understand that I'm doing, you know, a ton of work to make this deliverable happen. And I know the agency is making this much and I know I'm getting paid this much. And there's a huge Delta between those two things. Right. And when you're sort of, I mean, when I was in my early twenties, I was like far more, arrogant and energetic at that point. So I was like, Oh, what's all the, where's all the rest of this going? And it's obviously strategists, project managers, accounting software, rent, electricity, internet bills, but you just, you kind of view it in this very black and white way. Like I'm making the thing, but I'm only getting 5% of the proceeds of this thing. Right? So this, like this, like slow, journey of like slightly increasing my time you reach a ceiling in a in an agency environment particularly where you don't have an ownership stake so you're like you're getting paid reasonably well but then i start to like hit up against the ceiling and i'm like all i can do now is just move around and be like hey can i can i make a little bit more money in this shop or that shop uh I, my portfolio is getting a little bit better i got this project in there now so maybe i can leverage that into this and that became like that's where I hit that ceiling. I was like, okay, this model, I've kind of maxed out this model or I'm close to maxing out this model. Like even if it's going to take me another 10 years to get to the top of the salary bracket in this world, this, this like, yeah, I guess this, like this paradigm of selling my time to a business to earn money, you, f you realize it's going to cap out here and then my time is going to be owned forever if that's the the route I choose to stick on so then um, building an agency business you remove that limitation you remove the ceiling on the income because you can go out and then win business by yourself bigger projects pitch um, you know pitch for higher ticket projects but again you're constrained by how much time you have to deliver on those projects and you're going to hit that ceiling. Then you're going to have to pay people to come in and deliver those projects for you, with you, etc. So 
I, I read something a while back, I can't remember who said it, but it's like, you will never make a business, like you'll never make a service business more efficient by hiring more people. Hmm. You're always gonna lose margin when you hire more people. Like by definition, bringing someone else in is making it more complicated. I think that changes like in the software game and when you're making things with huge economies of scale, but small creative service businesses, you run into that limitation. You're like, do I love this enough where I'm gonna make less money doing it and hire a bunch of people to help me. And there's a lot of people that do love working in creative businesses and want a team of 10, 50 and do incredibly well. I'm not saying you can't make an amazing living doing that. But for me, it was like, I'm not particularly interested in growing a massive team, at least that stage of my life. Like I feel this getting more and more unwieldy and difficult to run as it grows. And the amount of money I'm making is actually going down and my stress is going up. Like that's broken. Yeah. So the next point, I hope, is this is this a helpful answer? I'm going into like <laughs> yeah, a ton of no, detail. I like it. It's it's progression. I mean, there's there's tons of things that I could like at like uh ask you to elaborate on, but um uh, like I want you to continue though because it's like progressing naturally from working in a salary to then breaking that ceiling and then breaking that ceiling and then. Of, do you ultimately unchain? Like, I know you have this idea of build once, sell twice. Like, you said, you said, okay. well, let me just, uh, let me say, like, I make videos, right? And you make videos now, too. And uh, what I think I've accidentally hit on and stumbled on is that same idea is that when I make a video once and I've made like hundreds, I've almost got a thousand videos on my channel, this is like 1,000 clones of me that wake up every day and. Right teach one particular they never go thing. to sleep yeah, yeah and i've accidentally created like this huge scale which is this is what's going on in my head while you're talking but i want to let you finish <laughs> yeah that's that's awesome so i'm at the where are we at the like build your own agency and you get into this like time commitment goes up money goes yeah. down stress goes nuts so that's when the pivot happens to like okay let's break this ceiling by limiting what i'm going to provide as a service so i'm only going to spend my time in I have a really good friend who's like you should sell your services based on the software programs that you spend time in so it's like now you only work in keynote and sketch don't come out of those things because as soon as you come out of those things you're not like really proficient in them like i'm in for i'm in like adobe premiere i'm absolutely hopeless at it right i'm like editing videos like a like a turtle in there like just so slow <laughs> terrible but i'm still like so so the value of my time is so um so much ridiculously higher in the areas i'm proficient that i have to had to develop the ability to say no to the things that people would pay me for just because they don't want to do them but i'm not necessarily great at them right because so i can take that stuff on but Ultimately, I end up losing because I'm up till three in the morning learning a tool that I have no business being in. And again, this is all dependent on the stage of your career. I'm not like saying that's something you shouldn't do or isn't valuable. But when you have this skill set that can ultimately generate a better result, then I chose to focus my time on that rather than develop new skills that, I'm, that I wasn't picking up very well at that point in time. So focused on keynote, sketch, visualizing value became the thing, right? So it's still a service business, but I'm gonna say, hey, to hire me, the minimum, the minimum amount I'm gonna work for is 
X, right, on a retainer. You get this many meetings a month. I'm going to work this many hours a week on every project and I have capacity for five projects, let's say. So then you break another ceiling, which is, there's two things happening here. And this is like a little bit outside of the question you asked, but the other thing that happens when you make that flip is the things that you're producing are so specific that you start generating demand for your service as opposed to responding to whatever market demand there is, right? So you go from like, hey, I'm a graphic designer and I can make cool stuff to this is this very specific thing I do. Do you want it? Yeah. And this is how it works if you do. So you go from, you know, any, any kind of creative hole that needs to be filled in a business, I'll put my hand up, be like, yeah, I'll figure out a way to do that for you versus here's this very specific thing I do. This is how much it costs. Do you want it? And that also helps you produce media on the front end that attracts the same type of person over and over again, which is obviously beneficial too. Then, you know, ultimately you get to this point where, and you can make a really healthy living doing that too. Like if you're super specialized, yeah. your prices just keep going up and up and up and up because demand supply, you're, you know, one of, or one of very few that can do this thing. As your audience grows, like more and more people want to work with you, you can just stay in that model if you like. So we still do a little bit of that with like certain clients that just love doing it and it keeps you really sharp. But then kind of identifying opportunities for product off the back of that. So how do you start to build assets in the same way you mentioned that can collect value that isn't, that doesn't have a direct relationship with your time. So this idea of visualizing value as a skill, is that something that people would pay to learn? I found out that it would be based on, you know, the interest in the media that was getting made and produced a product that, that, you know, can transfer that ability without me showing up on the phone and being like, okay, now move the mouse to here yeah. using media and software and, you know, all of the infrastructure that you can get for 10 bucks a month on the internet, which is a crazy thing. And then that idea of just continuing to make products based on the progress that you're making as an individual is just like this feedback loop that just keeps moving you f further forward. Yeah. Yeah. We have this like products versus services. Services is chained to your time and you can raise your price up and up and up and up. But like it's, it's always, you always have 24 hours in a day and products is you built it once and you could sell it twice as you say, or like Indeed. as many times as possible, which is, uh, I mean, you can think of anything like, uh, a, a book, writing a book or, or like it's the difference between making of I just thought this the other day like what's the point of public speaking <laughs> like just send everybody right. a video I know it's not that simple like there's something about <laughs> human interaction and we can't just turn everything digital and now everything is becoming like online education but there is just something so much more efficient to that medium of, of build once sell twice um but you touched on something really important that I think everyone should know. And it's something I've said before is saying no, like, you know, there's actually a lot that I want to go into here. There's in the beginning of a career, right? Like our, what I like to think of it is that it's all like opportunity cost, right? Like if you're not, if you're doing this thing here, you can't be doing that thing there. 
So a lot of times when we're in the beginning of our career, um, there isn't anything else for us to be doing. So we just do yes to everything. But mm -hmm. I think it is very important that once you get past a certain point, you start saying no, even if that means in the short term, you might be losing some short term money to be able to build long term um, value. And uh, like there's a there's a really good quote that I or there's something I saw. I forgot where it was. It's like. It's just something that clicked in my head only when I started work for, working for myself is uh, let's say there's a a there's a an item at the store and it costs ten dollars and you know that across the street it costs six dollars. It actually is it seems counterintuitive, but to get in your car, drive down the street, go get it and save the four dollars is massively undervaluing your time. Do mm -hmm. you think what do you think about opportunity costs um, or is it just like another way to say what you're saying? Yeah, no, there's there's a ton of there's a ton of value in like holding that model in your head. And I think the really difficult thing is knowing when uh, when that becomes appropriate, right? And I was definitely, I stayed in the traveling across the street and buying the $6 product for far longer than I needed to. And it's a confidence thing, I think, for a lot of people. It's like the belief that future you can make the $4 uh, versus current you saving $4, right? Even if you have a ton of evidence that backs up this idea that you know your time is worth exponentially more than that these things are so deep rooted in people they're really hard to break and i'm sure you know naval ravikant is yeah yeah you read this guy's stuff so he has like this mental model is like think about what your hourly rate is and then multiply it by a hundred have this aspirational hourly rate and if anything, and, and, you know, this comes from a place of like, it seems so outrageous when you read that and you're not in a position to even, you know, if your hourly rate multiplied by a hundred in a lot of cases, you don't have that much capital to begin with. Right. Yeah. But just as a mental model, if anything, co if anything costs less than your hourly rate for someone else to do it or for you to figure out a way to outsource it, then you do it. And you have to be that ruthless around what you will and won't spend your time on in order to start locking that pattern in because it yeah. is this like really ethereal thing where it's like um like one of his examples is um what does he say like you know i'm not gonna go down to the post office and wait in line for an hour or whatever it's like i'm going to either find somebody to do that for me or you know just just um like just not do it like yeah you you end up just chopping things out of your routine that are just like that's not a good use of my time especially if i'm in this phase of my life where i'm trying to accumulate skills and build something valuable and uh just um like spend my time on the things that are going to eventually pay me back but it's really hard to start to make that distinction in real time and you have to like initially make a ridiculously conscious effort to do it and and i think honestly it just takes effort forever like 
am I really yeah. gonna like overpay for this thing because I don't want to spend another half an hour? Even if you, I think a lot of people with a lot of money even have that frugality baked into their head. But a lot of that is also pre-internet thinking too, right? Where you don't have access or you didn't have access to the leverage that we do now. Like for you sitting down for two hours and making a video that might go on to earn you thousands of dollars in like ad revenue yeah. versus like, you know, driving to the store to pick up camera equipment versus paying a hundred bucks to have it delivered. It's a no brainer, right? But you still might do the, you still might go down the store and buy the thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is, I think you, you, you summed it up nicely. It is absolutely a confidence and like a faith. It's a leap of faith thing because when you are working with limited capital and resources it's like all right well i know my money is gonna run out pretty quickly and and i don't right. expect everybody to sit here and and like just become start delegating everything and just spend all their money and like uber eatsing everything i agree you have to be i agree doing something like like you said if i'm if i am gonna be paying extra to save time then i shouldn't be using that time to just scroll up and down social media because I should be using that hour I saved to produce a video, which may actually, and it, this has happened. Like I remember I was in college and um, two of my most popular videos on my channel, they each have like over a million views about how to do some video editing stuff. And I was in college, like I was working a part-time retail job. I made these yeah. videos. I was uploading every day. I made these videos, like one of them on the 26th of the month and one of them on the 27th of the month. Both of those videos have gone on to earn thousands of dollars and yeah. thousands of subscribers and who knows how much else. And like, did I know that that day that I worked for two hours that I generated that much? No, but like, I'm sure I wasted my time or like tried to save <laughs> five bucks that day on lunch, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and uh, it's like a negotiation with yourself, right? And you get better at it over time. Like you can't, I mean, I think everybody, they can give you advice in hindsight, like, hey, value your time at $500 an hour. Don't do anything else. It's not going to, very few people are going to be able to implement that. But even being conscious of it in the moment, like even as you're making the trip across the street to buy the $6 products, like, hmm, what could I be spending this time on that would mean it would be easy to justify buying the $10 thing? Like even if you have this model in the back of your head, a lot of these ideas take a while to really click in you read it and you're like, that makes sense. But until you start like going through life with like, hang on a minute. Like I read that thing. How would I apply that model in this, this specific situation? I mean, at least for me, it didn't, you don't read a page of a book and like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. Yeah. It's like, it, it's a slow burning thing and it's a never ending process. Like any other skill or observation you make it's intentional. Yeah, it's a little thing. Like, if anyone's listening to this, like, I absolutely don't want it to come across as like, all right, here's two guys who are like, yeah, 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 just pay for everything. Yeah. Like, in the little things of your life, like, like, don't stand in line for two hours to get a free coupon for something or like something like that. Take that two hours and and do something else, even if you're not making it right now. But you know, I'm coming from a background where or take a I notebook have, with you while you're in line. Yeah, or yeah do something and i mean <laughs> yeah and, and like productivity is not like the end goal of my life like i know there's more to life but you know we're talking about productivity right now but you know i'm i have a like i'm coming from experience where 
I have worked like uh, minimum wage jobs or like small jobs like when I was younger teenager you know I remember I was working at a gym and I don't remember what I was making but like you know eight dollars an hour or something like that so what happens is when you are given whatever you're used to being paid that's how you start thinking about your time so I remember I wouldn't I would go get lunch and I would think of it like, all right, I just spent $7 on this burrito. That means that was, I just spent two hours or I spent an hour and a half on this burrito, which is absolutely like distorted (laughs) thinking because time is actually the most scarce and valuable thing that you have. Uh, So you need to take that experience. Go on. No, I'm done. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think, I think you have to experience that break for the first time to really start thinking about it. Right. And that, that is where you cross the chasm is when are my inputs disconnected from my outcomes? So the idea that recording a video for two hours could result in thousands of dollars of revenue in the future plants the idea in your head that, Hey, that burrito actually only needs to cost me 30 seconds of editing. And then yeah. over time, as your subscriber base goes up, the burrito costs you one second. And then it's, it's like very hard to calculate even Unlimited as a percentage. What it is. <laughs> right, right. But, but I think you have to have that model and that experience. And like I said, as you go through, because everybody starts there, like I spent an hour, I got this, this cost me an hour, right? And then the idea that, you know, you're going to be able to get everything you want if you can just get your hourly rate up to cover your expenses. I mean, to some extent, that's true. But also you have the inflation of people's lifestyles that you're always banging up against the edge of what you're making in that scenario versus this idea of leverage where you can disconnect your input from your outcomes. And then, you're, you know, you start to think about, okay, how can I work? more intelligently versus just try and brute force like overtime would be the equivalent in the hourly thing, right? If I need to make more money, I have to stay awake more hours or I have to ask for extra shifts versus, um, you know, if I promote my YouTube video more cleverly or if I write a better title or if I design a better thumbnail, the outcome is significantly greater for me, but the time is the same. So you start to understand the impact of smaller decisions that you make in that process. And then you know, obviously with experience, you get better judgment. And then when you make good decisions, you get greater rewards. So it's, it's all a journey. And I don't think you jump from making $8 an hour because I came from the exact same place. I worked in industrial shredders for nine months, like picking up bags of paper, throwing them in a shredder. It's like, okay, I can afford to go and play two games of pool and put five pounds of petrol in my car with this shift. And that's what I'm going to do every day. Yeah. So it's, it's all, um, you know, it's all learned through experience. And I think definitely by consuming conversations like this and the media that I consume that helped me start to understand this can speed up that process. But it, is also, it does also map to application and you experience it in one way then you make a slight tweak you experience it another way and just keep kind of moving along that trajectory and it's again at no point do you wake up and like i got it all figured out i certainly do not have it all figured out 
Yeah. Uh, so let's get into uh, you. You brought up a lot of good things. Like you keep saying this word leverage, and I know you have this idea of uh, you also have this idea of permissionless apprenticeship, and and you mentioned Navali. I've definitely been following him for a while, and I know you did the Naval Almanac book thing. Um, so yeah, we're talking about le- leverage. We're talking about all the tools that we have. How did you? And you're also. I want to know about like your relationship with what you consume because I agree like uh, we have to be very careful of of the same way the food that we eat the content that we surround ourselves with so there's a negative and a positive side that you could use all these tools like how do you personally use Twitter and set up your feeds and use it as leverage so that you are like able to value your time Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think one of the interesting things, and I know you talk about productivity as well, is I think the idea of brute force isn't necessarily uh, the most practical way to make progress. So, you know, the like monastic, like, hey, never consume anything you enjoy, wake up, work for nine hours with your head down have a cold shower when you wake up <laughs> if that does it for you man you crack on do it enjoy it it's not not how i like to do it right so the idea that i i basically structure the things i consume to provide inspiration in some way shape or form right so follow really interesting people on twitter um twitter has been a game-changing platform for me i didn't i wasn't really i was on there since I was a school kid, but I never used it. And then 18 months ago, I was like, who's this Naval guy? Man, this is smart stuff. And then just kind of finding the, the ability, I think, to have access to like the stream of consciousness thought of people you admire is just a mind blowing concept. And again, if you look at opportunity in history, this is not a bad time to be alive for that reason, right? If you can, tap into the stream of consciousness of people that are doing the things you want to do. So I, I, I've gone through different phases of like hyper discipline of, Hey, I only check this half an hour a day at this point in time. And I go back to work and I make my assets and I work on my client stuff. And with time you buy yourself the freedom to not do that. Right. I think you have to start with structure. It's like when you start a job, you turn up at nine, they tell you what meetings you got to go to when you have to have your work done by, and that's all a product of having no leverage, right? You, someone is buying your time, so they get to tell you what to do while they're paying you for your time. Fair enough, fair deal, right? And then over time, I think when I started my business, I had to like engineer that discipline for myself. It's like, I don't get to just like laze around for nine hours a day and just work when I feel like it. I had commitments that I had to, um, honor and you know people paying me money to deliver things on a certain date so very very rigid i think over time it's gotten less and less so because of that disconnect so um another idea like when you get to that point where you have leverage you really have these like um sort of sprint and rest cycles so i'm sure you experience this with your work too it's like one day you're like man i've just got this great idea and i just want to get my head down and make this video or build this product or, you know, record this lesson. And other days I wake up and I'll be like, Hmm, 
No, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, not feeling like working on that today. I'm gonna read this book, or I'm gonna yeah. watch this video, and then maybe something will come to me, and maybe something won't. And you still feel like Man, I should be doing something. But there's this interesting thing that changes when you have a sufficient amount of leverage. It's like one day of reading a book could result in, like you say, this one video that over the course of the next 24 months goes absolutely nuts and pays your mortgage a year, in a year's time, right? So yeah, it's like a luxury that you buy for yourself as a result of like smashing through all of these ceilings. So I... I have gone back and forth. I'm like, man, I should be more rigid and disciplined about some of this stuff. Uh, but I think the one thing I do pay attention to is, is this inspiring me or not? And if it isn't, I'm like, why the hell am I reading this? This is like making me feel terrible. I just try and pay attention to how my energy changes with what I'm consuming. And my wife does a great job of letting me know that as well. She's like, what are you, what is going on? Like, what are you reading? You're, you're behaving really odd. <laughs> And I was like, okay, yeah, and I get it. I was, you know, doom scrolling through this thing for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just turned that stuff off. And uh, yeah, just try and, I mean, it, it definitely becomes more instinctual over time. So I love the structure and I've built products that provided that structure for me initially. But then as you, you know, as you create leverage for yourself, you have way more freedom to, spend time how you want to spend it yeah yeah there's something nice about having not a fully booked out calendar uh like some days you should just go for a walk and read something or just like meditate on the concept of right. something for the whole day or some days you might spend with family some days you might you know uh there there's something i i say schedule like allow certain schedule time for serendipity or something to that effect. That's cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. But um, yeah, so you also mentioned something I think is important. Like nowadays, a lot of people will, a lot of people want to grow on social media, right? Like growth hacking. And a lot of advice you might see is like, all right, be on Pinterest, be on Twitter, be on LinkedIn, be on YouTube. And there's a really uh, interesting concept that I got from you, one of your courses that I took uh, is like, first first focus like perhaps just choose youtube or just choose twitter or an instagram maybe one and two and put all your energy into growing those and then you might have the leverage then you can say all right uh follow me on youtube and whatnot so i mean this is something that you've personally done right you started on twitter and instagram and now you're starting a youtube channel yeah it's like the way i think about it is like imagine you're learning an instrument you're like, hey, I'm going to learn guitar, clarinet, drums, and um, violin at the same time. And in three months, I'm going to be amazing at all of them. Or in 12 months, I'm going to be amazing at all of them. Versus saying, I'm going to spend three months learning the guitar. Then I'm going to take what I learned in the guitar and I'm going to apply it to what I learned. And I'm going to apply it to learn the violin. Then I'm going to take that and I'm going to leverage that. My understanding of music is increasing, so then I'm going to use it. And I think you know, the, the idea of social media, people like, you know, social media is this like amalgamous blob that if you're good at one thing, you're going to be good at another. And I think that, you know, couldn't be further from the truth, right? The skill sets required to perform well on YouTube are different than the skill sets required to perform well on 
Twitter, for example, right? Like an amazing video editor can build a great following on YouTube. You're not honing your writing muscle in the same way you would be if you were tweeting 10 times a day. So I think because they're so close, people really think like, oh, you know, my efforts will double regardless of what I'm doing. But I think it's more akin to like the nuance of learning different instruments and yeah, I just think the way, and if anybody knows anybody that's done this over the course of three months and mastered all three platforms at once, I would love to be introduced to them because I've met hundreds of people and they haven't been able to do this, but when they really narrow their focus, it's actually a concept called periodization where you're like, I'm going to get really good at this one thing, then I'm going to move on and I'm going to do the next thing. And you're going to have this body of knowledge that actually makes you a more competent practitioner in that next thing, as opposed to like sucking at five things at once and just getting, just making no progress. It's really difficult to, I think, motivate yourself when you have like just this constant experience of, of like not being where you want to be versus experiencing this tiny bit of growth every single day. Yeah, isn't it a, correct, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there the Bruce Lee quote, like, I'm not afraid of the person that's done a, a thousand different kicks once or punches. I'm afraid of the person yeah. that's done one punch a thousand times or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I think yeah, and again, true. it's like, I think it's absolutely true. And I think it's very easy to see other people that have either gone through that or they have like teams of people managing across the platforms or, um, you know, there's plenty of people that are given the absolute opposite of this advice and fair enough. Like if you can make that work good for you, but based on my experience, there is, um, you're going to get way more done in way shorter time with focus, right? Like there's a thousand different metaphors. The instrument one is one yeah. like digging holes. Like if you're going to dig a hole and like one shovel full and then you walk 20 feet over another shovel full over there, just dig, dig down yeah, in down. one. And then when you're finished, go and dig another one. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, in my own experience, that was building up the YouTube page and then saying, also go follow me on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> you know, that's how I like your tweets, by the way, man. That's funny Thanks. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's another thing I'm working on too, is like, I think another thing people have a problem with is, uh, like they'll post on YouTube and then they'll copy a screenshot of the YouTube video and post it on Twitter. And, you know, and nobody wants to see that. Like they want to right. see a, on, on Twitter, you want to say like interesting, thoughtful or funny tweets. On Instagram, you want to post beautiful pictures or whatever. On YouTube, you want to post nice videos. Uh, you don't want to just sandwich the same piece of content and all. The, like you want it to be native, is the, is the concept. Um, but there's a there's a couple good like product social media productivity ideas that I think you have is like uh, that. I, this what I think will help anyone who is trying to produce content, no matter what it is, um, or you know even any sort of engaging in any sort of productive activity let's talk about this idea of like building systems and i guess you could even call it batching like what is how could some, anyone implement systems to be more productive in whatever they do so in a creative context i think one of the things that has worked for me is It's like, you know, we talked about if you read a book and you get inspired by an idea, 
instead of opening up Twitter and writing the thing that inspired you, so you're like, hey, I got an idea based on what I read. I'm going to open up Twitter and I'm going to tweet that thing. And then you're in the Twitter environment. Don't do that. Don't open it. Write that thing somewhere else. And then you have like you're outside of the distracting environment and being able to like connect your ideas offline or outside of that environment has really helped me. So I'll go, oh, I got a thought. I'm going to open up the notes app, write a sentence versus going into Twitter. I'd write a sentence, post it, and then I'd be like in the feed after that. I've noticed that yeah. if I just do it in a different app, I like, here's another thought, here's another idea. Maybe I can turn that into like a three paragraph thing as opposed to trying to like hone a hone an idea in this like high frequency interruptive environment. Like that I think is one, you know, super simple idea that can help you um that can help you just produce more thoughtful and like just more volume of ideas. Uh, on the like, on the other side of stuff, like in the service business, particularly, one of the massive like breakthroughs I had was this concept of uh, content leverage. So the idea that you can answer a question that all of your clients are going to ask you once in a video, as opposed to scheduling an hour long um, conversation with every person. I'm not saying don't interact with your clients. I'm saying the things that you say twice, that's always an opportunity for you to produce content. So the system, a lot of people think of systems as software and like, how do I build this, uh, you know, this system of cogs that automates the task for me. Whereas I think there's another way to think about it where it's just like, what do I spend my time repeating myself on? Um, and that's not always technical tasks. Sometimes that's just like, Hey, here's how you get into this product or here's how you use this platform or here's how to fill out this thing I sent you. Here's how to complete a brief. You can make assets that do that work for you. And then, you know, you're like one of the mental models for this is like, if you spend 20% of your day looking back at what you did with 80% of your day, you're like, if I could spend 20% of my day doing one thing that produces something that means I don't have to do it again, or I could just point someone in the direction of here's a video that answers that question. You've saved your future self hundreds of hours. Yeah. So I'm imagining your audience, like a lot of them are in a creative field and they do creative work. And I think we have a tendency as creatives to be like, well, you know, what I do is so like in the moment and based on, um, you know, my creative process, which is unique on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, that's true, but not all of the time. So you want to build things that allow you to operate in that like new mode of creativity as much as possible. So the ability to spend three hours writing new stuff is because you've made content that answers the questions you're getting all the time that would have cost you an hour or two a day previously. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a there's a really, I always recommend everyone to play this game, even though it has nothing to do with this. Uh, have you heard of this paperclip game? It's it's like, it's actually a game on the web I've browser. It. It's basically I'll like, really? it begins with you clicking a button and then you'll like click button, will make one paperclip. 
And then once you get 10 paper clips, you can afford to buy a paper clip button clicker. And that'll make like, oh, nice. it's, it's a really good metaphor, I think, for how to grow on online or any, or like how to grow a business. Like first you got to make the paper clips by hand. Then you make the paper clip making machine. Then you like, you just keep iterating on that. Um, yeah, yeah. If what you said didn't make sense, then they definitely wouldn't understand what I just said. But go play <laughs> that game. <laughs> Stick it um, in the description. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so, and that kind of also ties into this thing that you talk about of selling your sawdust. Like this is something that I found myself naturally doing, but ever since I saw, ever since I took your course, I realized that I could be doing it even more. It's just like, you know, I'm answering tons of questions and emails all the time, or, you know, I'm getting t tons of cool tool, cool messages and stuff like, why don't I publicly answer these? And now someone who didn't even ask it can see the question and the answer. Uh, it's making, it's selling, it's building once and selling twice. Like I'm, I'm answering one email, but then providing it for, for everyone to see, even if they didn't ask me like, or just like showing a, a positive review is like the best, uh, best social proof I could have for why someone might want to buy my effects products and stuff you know yeah it's it's not as yeah, complicated uh, exactly it's not as complicated and it's like real it's like i think we have a tendency because you know i think this is something that we just absorb from the world we live in it's like well my marketing has to be this like abstraction of my product and i have to like conceive of this new idea altogether in order to like promote my thing right it's like more often than not people just want to see the product especially if it's um you know if you're selling your expertise in any way shape or form what better way to advertise your expertise than answering questions right instead of me saying hey i'm gonna help you learn how to productize yourself and turn your experience into x y and z i could just say here's this dude who was a trial lawyer and he took the course and this is the result he got right the idea of proof of work and that's something that comes from like the creative industry massively right you trade on your portfolio you trade on your body of work but what we don't tend to do or what i didn't tend to do early in my career as a creative is like try and record the impact of the work or the reactions that people are having to um what i'm doing and that idea of you the things that you don't value that come really naturally to you that you have in like surplus are um it's like non-obvious the value you provide the reason you don't share it is because you view it as this thing that's very easy but the market is in a different place than you like they don't have that surplus of ability that you do so the easiest way to like break that barrier is just be like here's what i do like here's a screen recording of me doing my work and someone just looks at that and they're like, I couldn't do that in a million years. You know, yeah. like when I was back doing my um, video editing and premiere, like, you know, like three inches away from the screen, like what shortcut <laughs> is this? How do I do this thing? If I see something on Instagram of you just going like, Sh -sh -sh -sh, job done, here's how you yeah. do it. I'll be like, hey, Justin, can you do this for me, please? Yeah. And I accidentally get so much work. Like I... I actually just wanted to make the videos to teach people and like leverage it that way. But then I accidentally get work of people saying, 
hey, you know, I saw your video on the After Effects audio thing. I personally don't know what I'm doing. Can I just pay you to do it for me? Right, and I right. think that would be useful if someone, like nowadays I still have to kind of be like, I actually know I'm working on other stuff. Right, but, um, right. And uh, actually there's a book that Naval talks about too, is uh, Influence by Robert Caldini. There's a funny mm -hmm. comic in there that illustrates um, what you said. It's like first there's a, it's like the bystander effect. First, the first panel is just like someone standing, uh, looking up. And then the second panel is like everyone else starts looking up because they want to see what he's looking up at. <laughs> and there's like an angel in the sky. And then all of a sudden the whole crowd is looking up. And then the last panel is the angel starts looking up too, <laughs> like to see like what everyone's look, <laughs> yeah, looking great. at. That's great. And, that is know, great, man. I haven't seen that. I love it. It's uh, it's yeah, it's in that book. But uh, it's it's like that's how like I posted something about some Black Friday sales I was doing. First, it was kind of crickets. And then like I posted a screenshot of someone saying, hey, I just got it. It was cool. Another screenshot. Like then once other people start saying, oh, hey, why is the other people are, are liking it? Then all of a sudden, like it started working rather like because there's people like the, seeing the social proof. Um, but yeah, yeah, all of these ideas, uh, if anyone is, is, I mean, some of the, these might have gone abstract, some of them might have gone practical, but, you know, all of these ideas, if anyone isn't following you yet, they should definitely go follow Visualize Value to see all of these concepts kind of visually too, to get them to click. And like in your, uh, if they want even further than that, in your, in your websites and, and uh, pages, you've built products that and courses that do deep dives into this stuff, which I've personally taken the course and, and found it useful. So I think first follow and then then if you want even more, check that out. But um, uh, as a wrapping like statement, I do kind of, I want to ask you like, uh, what, have, what are you working on next or thinking about currently or like even like what have you been reading or pondering? Like what's, What's Jack doing to wrap up 2020 here and thinking about 2021? Yeah, so um, actually one of the concepts we talked about, Permissionless Apprentice, is going to be the next product. So I'm working on that right now. And that's really the, like, the gap that exists in the product portfolio so far. So I think what we've put out to date does a really good job of helping people that have a skill and have um, you know, experience in a, in a given industry become more effective at selling that skill. And I want to sort of have, like build out a zero to one product on the you know, network building, working in public, finding opportunity that other people might miss. And that's going to be like you know, a way more affordable product for people that are just getting started building online. And then the other thing that I've been putting some time into is a site called value.app, which is, um, you know, we've operated solely on social for so long, like, you know, Instagram, Twitter, we've got a little email list, but trying to learn the SEO game a little bit um, with, again, the periodization thing, kind of figured out Twitter and Instagram that that seems to work. So now just playing with other formats, YouTube, I'm going to need some, uh, some insight from you <laughs> on what to do there, but we started a little YouTube channel and, uh, yeah, building a website to kind of make some article style content as well. Just trying to round out 
all the different mediums that we can present these ideas to reach as many people as possible and, and hopefully help as many people as possible. Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, your pages are definitely some of my favorite to follow, uh, especially on Twitter. And uh, sometimes I do find myself wasting money on random courses and usually I'm 99% like don't don't need that stuff but I, I definitely find things of value in your stuff and uh, I find that it embodies my own it's like I'm a case study of it as before I even knew it so awesome. uh, yeah if, thank if anyone is listening to this definitely reach out to us if you had any any points or comments or questions um you can find me everywhere at justin odisho you can find jack everywhere uh, you have a few different pages but at visualize value can kind of funnel into all of them in your personal yeah. pages jack butcher on twitter too uh and you can watch this episode on youtube or listen on apple podcasts itunes spotify everywhere podcasts are so thank you so much for listening jack thanks so much for taking your time valuable time to come on the show and hopefully uh we, this is going to be a clone of ourselves that thousands of people can Indeed. hear. <laughs> Indeed. Well, if one person listens to it, then we've made an hour back each. That is a great way to think about it. So, all right. Thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, thanks everyone for listening.